Worldwide Vancouver. Free game, post game, every game presented by Bodog for sports odds to free casino games. Make a play at Bodog.net. One and J-Pat here with you. As the Stanley Cup playoffs roll on, J-Pat, we continue to be amazed by the hockey. Another fantastic hockey game last night, although maybe not if you're a New York Rangers fan. The New Jersey Devils moving on. We'll get to all of that a little bit later on here when we get into some playoff talk. But of course, being that it's the Vancouver Canucks podcast, we got to start things off with the most important, maybe decision that could happen for the Canucks in the next little while here, the NHL draft lottery. And of course it goes down uh, this coming Monday. So what we're going to do here throughout the week is spin the wheel once and see what we land on today is my turn. So I will start right now as she spins around and... The first overall pick is going to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Mm. The Vancouver Canucks finish in 11th. Wah, wah, wah. So Connor so Bernard is going to join Kent Johnson. Strong yep. Vancouver connection uh, to the Blue Jackets, but not the Vancouver connection that people want to the uh, first overall pick, obviously. I think they play in like some roller hockey league uh, together yeah. as well. So there you go. Well, they'll be united in Columbus. So who, are so. Top, who are the top three then? The top three are the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Anaheim Ducks, and the Chicago Blackhawks. So that's chalk, is it not? Yes, it is. Nope, because Anaheim has the best odds. That's right. So Anaheim right. dropped. Yeah, yeah. So Columbus moved up. and But Anaheim's still getting Adam Fantilli as the second overall pick. They'll be all right. Uh, again, just adding to an incredible uh, stable of prospects that they've got. And uh, we'll see where that leads them in a few years' time. But uh yeah, they'd be celebrating in Columbus if uh, the lottery balls fall that way next Monday night. And that was the only significant movement on that one when I spun the wheel as well. So not a lot of intrigue in this one. All right, so Washington yesterday, yep. Columbus. We'll see if one of these Western Conference teams can uh, work their way into the top uh, when we do this uh, again on tomorrow's program. Of course, uh, you have started writing for the Hockey News, and if anybody missed that, please go and check out uh, Jay Pat's work. He's going to be covering the Vancouver Canucks, of course, uh, for the hockey news throughout the season, and of course, doing the podcast here with me as well. Loved your piece that you have up today. Lessons learned from round one. And of course, these are the teams that got bounced out. And you basically gave a word and then and expanded on it per team. And I think we can relate a lot of this to the Vancouver Canucks uh, as well. We'll kick things off from the top here with the Rangers. And you talked about consistency with the Rangers. We've seen that with the Vancouver Canucks this year. They were very inconsistent throughout the season. Yeah. Now, let me just make this perfectly clear. These are lessons the Canucks can take and other teams as well. These aren't necessarily the main reason that these teams were bounced sure. from the yeah. first round. I think they contributed to it. Uh, and for the Rangers, yeah, uh, consistency. You're up 2 nothing. You beat the Devils 5-1 in each of the first two games, and then it felt like they just left their took their foot off the gas. And again, uh, credit to the Devils for doing what they had to do to come back and win. But the, the consistency part is you can't just get, well, the getting's good in the playoffs. And that's what the Rangers did. When they were on and their guys were playing well, guys were into it. On nights when it wasn't happening, like where was the tone setter? Where was the spark plug? Where was somebody to like they were complete no-shows in their four losses and so i think it has to be a little more even keel uh you get to the playoffs you're seeing good opponents these are the best teams in the league get into the playoffs and so you have to have some sort of consistency 
And when you look at the Rangers, like Panarin, completely invisible through the series, Zabinijad, not a whole lot better. I know a lot of people are making a big deal out of Alexis Lafreniere. We talked about him yesterday, seven games without a point. Like There were a lot of players that didn't hold up their end of the bargain, but it just felt like when they were on, yeah, they were playing like the Rangers can, but there were four nights where they were brutal. And as a result, you got to win four times in those series, so the Devils move on. Rangers left to do a whole lot of soul-searching and a lot of talk around uh, Gerard Gallant and what his future uh, may hold there in the Big Apple. Yeah, what do you think about that? Uh, I want to get to coaches' hot seats in just a, a bit here with other franchises, but you know, do you think Gallant gets one more kick at the can here? I mean, he did make a conference final last year. Right, I think, he's on, I think he's on notice now. I mean, yeah. James Dolan's a pretty impatient guy. Uh, the Knicks are having some success in the playoffs, and so the Rangers didn't hold up their end of the bargain. Uh, but, and look, Gerard Glant, like, there is a sort of track record there of wearing out his welcome a little bit. Uh, um, you know, there have been some surprise firings, obviously. The guy gets a lot out of his teams early on, but there's a lot of talk, too, that he didn't do his part in terms of adjustments and tactical things throughout that series as it went along. So uh, I think he'll get an opportunity to start, but uh, in a market like New York, uh, he's on the hot seat now. I, I would imagine that, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the Gerard Gallant firing watch will begin the minute the puck drops at the start of next season. Now, this is an area that the Canucks uh, are strong in, goaltending. So are the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, However, yeah. this is a lesson to be learned. Even if you have a monster like Vasilevsky in goal, sometimes the monsters uh, don't stop at all. Yeah, and that's just it, that you could think you have goaltending until you don't. And yeah. Tampa certainly, I mean, they've got one of the best uh, of his generation, but he wasn't anywhere close to that good in this series against the Leafs. And you know, just look at the numbers, 3.56 goals against average, 87.5 save percentage in those six games. His career playoff numbers, 237 goals against average and 92.1 save percentage. So like, just massive drop off in the individual numbers. There were, again, other reasons uh, why Tampa's on the sidelines now, but the lesson for the Canucks is you need goaltending. You think you got yep. goaltending, and then you need it to show up and perform in the playoffs. And I think you need depth in goaltending as well, as we saw this year. Uh, the Bruins, you got battle readiness with the Bruins, which is interesting because the team won, what, 65 games? You think they're battle-tested, battle-ready at all times. However, as we saw in the series, that lacked a bit, and that is something that the Canucks I don't think they were battle-ready uh, for a lot of this season. Maybe around the uh, final stretch of the year when things didn't mean a lot for a lot of the opponents that they were playing, but I mean, for a team like the Bruins to not be battle-ready in that final game, boy, did that kill them. Yeah, and again, you look at the Bruins, uh, Marchand and, and Bergeron and Krejci were all Stanley Cup champs here in Vancouver in 2011. I mean, those guys have been through the battles. This isn't battle-tested because a lot of these guys went to the Stanley Cup final against the Blues and lost Game 7 you know, so they've been there and done all that. It was more of a, they kind of, I think, were on cruise control a little bit. And why wouldn't they yeah. be? I mean, they 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 were able to coast through. Like, they were never really pushed in the regular season. And so, uh, you know, Florida went two and two against the Bruins in the regular season. I think Florida had a belief. And Florida, of course, was scratching and clawing and sort of playing that playoff hockey just to get into the postseason where the Bruins... I know they won the series opener, but it just, they didn't look like a team that was totally dialed in. And I wonder if some of that, you know, I think back to Tampa getting swept by Columbus in 2019 after having a 128 point season. And John Cooper said, like, it did us no favors down the stretch being so far out in front. And I do think that there was some of that that applied here. So I'm not expecting the Vancouver Canucks to, you know, win 65 games in a regular season anytime soon. But the point is, 
when the playoffs roll around, like you've got to be so dialed in and have your game at that level. And I just don't think the Bruins, uh, for all the regular season success, uh, they just they weren't able to replicate that when the chips were down. Yeah, and it's interesting too because you know you get up so much early on in the season, and then you talk about it, you're just in cruise control at that point. And, you know, maybe that's not the right thing for teams. Maybe there is something that the NHL can do with the regular season to sort of, you know, sort of change that. But I don't know. Maybe that's for a broader discussion at a different time. Now, the New York Islanders are a veteran team, of course. And mm. you put down youth movement with them because they don't have a lot of youth there. And we saw that with the Islanders. Now, the Canucks are not necessarily an old team, but, you know, not the youngest team in the NHL as well. No, I was surprised, though, when I was just looking and doing a little fact checking for this piece. Noah Dobson was the only Islander skater under the age of 25 that appeared in all six games in that series against Carolina. Like, this is a young man's league. Youth is being served. Now, of course, there's room for veterans. I'm not saying, you know, push aside anybody that's over the age of 25, but uh, it does make you wonder, you know, in the years to come, like, what direction are the New York Islanders headed? And, of course, the contract from Bo Horvat's all part of that. But Noah Dobson was the only skater under the age of 25 that appeared in all six games. The Islanders didn't have a forward under 30 who recorded more than two points in this series. So, like, again, like, it has to be a perfect mix. And there's no one-size-fits-all here. But uh, I think all these teams can learn from the Islanders that, you have to have some youth, youth and and energy and, you know, just young talent is taking over the National Hockey League. And yeah, Matt Barzell is part of what the Islanders have, but he's not under 25 anymore and they don't have much in their reserves or in their stockpile of project prospects. So, uh, yeah, you know, it, it just it can't be all the Wiley veterans. You got to have that sort of. Uh, balance of youth and and experienced players. Yeah, and if you take a look at the Carolina Hurricanes, they have exactly that as well. Their top player in Sebastian Ajo, just 25 years old. The Talking about star power there with Sebastian Ajo as well. The Minnesota Wild, they have a star in Kirill Kaprizov, but he had one goal throughout the entire series. Now, goals have been a struggle for the Wild, and you've got star power circled with them. The Canucks, though, they do have star power. Right, but it's like goaltending. You've got star power, but if it doesn't show up in the playoffs, then what good is it? So that's the takeaway is that your best players obviously have to show up and perform. And unfortunately for Minnesota, that didn't happen uh, at all. And, and Kirill Kaprizov, he scored the first goal of that series against Dallas. That was his only point. So after the first period of the series against Dallas, didn't hit the score sheet again. Now, Minnesota was the lowest scoring team among all the clubs that qualified for the playoffs. So yeah, offense already was going to be an issue. Um, and that's the danger when you lean on one guy to produce as much as Minnesota does, and then he doesn't, you're going to be in some trouble. So uh, as a result, they're on the outside. And then you look at a team like Colorado also on the outside. And it's the flip story there because uh, Miko Rantanen scored seven times and Nathan McKinnon had seven points. Like their top end guys did show up and perform. So, you know, uh, people may say, well, you can't have it both ways. Yeah, you can. The lesson here is that you have to have your star players perform, but in Colorado's case, you need depth scoring depth. as yep. well. Yep. And when you look at it, outside of McKinnon and Rantanen, only three other Colorado forwards scored a goal in that series against Seattle. They got a couple of goals from defensemen, but when it came to other forwards, uh, next to nothing. And the loss of Nikushkin, uh, you know, and who knows when we'll get to the full bottom of that story, but that hurt them, obviously. But it just, yeah. So in Minnesota's case, you needed your star player to be a whole lot better. 
in Colorado's case, your star players are fine. I mean, they did as much as they could, but it can't just be one or two guys. And Colorado had nothing when it came to uh, depth scoring outside of McKinnon and Rantanen. And that's worrisome for the Canucks as well. If you suffocate, let's say, Hughes, Patterson, Miller, Who's going to step up for the Canucks as well? So, yeah, sure. star power, depth scoring, definitely something, lessons that can be learned for the Canucks. We all know about this one when it comes to the Canucks, and it hurt the LA Kings. Penalty killing, which, of course, was the Achilles heel for the Canucks for much of the season. Imagine if you'd gone into that series and telling the LA Kings that they were going to go 7 for 21 on their own power plays. They were going to get five more power plays than the Edmonton Oilers. And they were going to get outscored by two with the man advantage. And that's what happened. King's power play was really good, as it was during the regular season. Problem was, the Oilers' power play was the best in NHL history. And then it went, like, off completely uh, in a good way for Edmonton uh, in that series. Edmonton went 9 for 16. We touched on it yesterday. 56.3%. So better than a 50-50 proposition when the Oilers got a power play all of a sudden you're the Kings that's in the back of your head you're trying to play perfect hockey stay out of the box and you just can't I mean you're going to take some penalties and unfortunately for LA uh, boy did the Oilers make them pay so yes uh, you know what would the Canucks penalty kill look like against the Edmonton Oilers if they had squeaked into the playoffs like I don't even want to consider that my head yeah would hurt. So, yes, lesson learned. The Vancouver Canucks, the penalty kill was better under Rick Tockett than it was under Bruce Boudreaux, but it still has a long, long way to go to ensure that it doesn't, you know, bury them in a playoff series whenever they get back to the postseason. Yeah, and let's keep in mind, too, that that Oilers power play really isn't going anywhere. Like McDavid and Dreisaitl, they're not going to be leaving town anytime soon. So if the Canucks are to get themselves back into the playoffs, they're going to have to be better on the PK because they very well could be playing. Uh, the Oilers. Lastly, the Jets. And when it came down to the Jets, they kind of got buried with injuries. That's what you've got circled, but uh, that's pretty obvious. We'll just look at that. Demko and the way the season went for the Canucks right off the bat. Right. And just to underscore this again, injuries aren't the reason the Winnipeg Jets lost to the Vegas Golden Knights. It was a one against eight. Uh, uh, but yeah. the lesson for the Canucks is that through all those other things and all the other lessons that they can take from these other teams, you have to have a little bit of good luck when on the injury front as well. And so Winnipeg started that series without Nick Ehlers and then lost Josh Morrissey and then lost Mark Shifley. And so they were already overmatched. They probably weren't going to beat the Golden Knights, but they did in the opener. And, you know, so again, you you have to, it's a tough gig to go deep into the playoffs. Ask that 2011 Canucks team. And at the end, you know, sometimes it is a a war of attrition and, and who's able to, you know, stand on their own two feet and contribute. And so... Yeah, I mean, there were a number of reasons uh, Rick Bonus laid a lot of them <laughs> bare for all to see. But for me, the lesson from that series, on top of everything else that goes your way, you have to have some good fortune on the injury front. Winnipeg didn't, and you can't ever bank on that. But if you're going to go on a deep playoff run, uh, you need your best players. Uh, they, they have to be available to you. And so, yeah. And remember, these are the first eight teams eliminated, like, you know, and, and the, the Canucks obviously didn't qualify for the playoffs. 16 teams didn't qualify. Uh, but these are lessons learned from teams that couldn't even get out of round one. So that was sort of the thrust. If you want to read the entire article and some of the reasons and some of the statistics behind uh, my reasons, again, you can find it at thehockeynews.com. I liked your tweet as well of uh, 500 point, uh, plus point teams are now out of the postseason. Boston with 135 <laughs> points. Just just to see that at the top of the list is just 
remarkable. But, you know, again, it's almost like they have to figure out something to do with the regular season that can maybe, I don't know if they can like break it into two or something, but it just seemed like when teams are on cruise control, that can be, it could be deadly for you. And it was for the Boston Bruins. And as we saw with the Florida Panthers, like they were scratching and clawing their way to get above the playoff bar. And ultimately it helped them out in that first round because they were able to scratch and claw their way past the Boston Bruins. Yeah. I mean, further to that though, five of the top 11 teams in the regular season standings are out. Now the Bruins obviously are the sexiest one there because as you said, 135 points, but teams two through six all advanced. And then Colorado was seventh, Rangers were ninth, L.A. at uh, 10, and Minnesota was the 11th. Uh, But, yeah, Colorado 109 points, Rangers 107, the Kings had 104, and Mini had 103. So you battle all regular season, you know, to to get your slot in the playoffs, and like 105, 107 points, those are incredible totals. (laughs) And you you last, you know, six or seven games, and, and then you're done, and you're left to soul search. So... Yeah, I mean, upsets are going to happen. Um, it just, again, underscores how tough a trophy it truly is to win because those are some good teams that had really nice regular seasons. Boston obviously uh, did things that we haven't seen before in the NHL, and they're all on the shelf now. So uh, they're like us. They're watching the playoffs from home. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Uh, you tipped me off on this, but uh, Rick Talkett was recently on the Missing Curfew uh, podcast, and he had some really interesting stuff to say. He opened up quite a bit. Th- that's one thing I think I had a um, misconception about with Rick, with Rick Talkett was. I, I thought he was a hard ass. Like I thought he was going to be one of those guys that you sort of tiptoed around. And when you sort of spoke to him, I, I, I don't know. You dealt with Travis green more than I did, but I felt that way around Travis green. Like I felt like kind of had to tiptoe around some of the things you said, or you might uh, tear your head off. Whereas Rick talking is more open and, and maybe more uh, just sort of listens a little bit more. And I found it with this interview, he really opened up on a lot of different topics and of course, the star power or players were really uh, some of the main uh, topics that he was talking about, but Quinn Hughes being one of them and just talking about how he's sort of on this trajectory to be a captain and the fact that he took this leadership role. Now, I know that we've spoke about it, mm-hmm. but to hear Rick Talkett elaborate on it a little bit more, I thought was uh, quite interesting. Yeah, what I found fascinating about this whole interview is it's an out-of-market interview. Like, you know, he's starting to build familiarity with the guys that are on the beat and they're there on a daily basis. But, you know, sometimes when guys go on out-of-market programs, they let their guard down a little bit. And I think Tuckett did that. Like, he was pretty relaxed. It's long. Uh, you know, it gives yeah. these guys almost an hour of his time, touches on a ton of subjects. And, 
yeah, obviously they get around to the players and the star players. And I mean, it just seems like every chance that Rick Tockett has to rave about Quinn Hughes, he does it. And so, you know, again, I was a little curious, like, you know, in season, he's saying things. He knows that these are going to get back to the players. Uh, but I kind of thought, all right, let's see if it's the same tone and same tenor. And, you know, is he saying the same things to uh, Shane O'Brien and, and Scotty Upshaw? And absolutely. Like, I mean, and not that things that he says there wouldn't get back to, to the players too. But yeah, I mean, he just has all the respect in the world. And he admits, like, when he arrived in Vancouver, he wasn't sure if, uh, you know, he, he had some doubts about Quinn Hughes, like we all did about his defending, but uh, talked about an underrated defender now and just, uh, you know, the places that uh, he can take his game and another sort of vote of confidence for uh, Quinn Hughes in that locker room and the voice that he's finding with his teammates and and not afraid. And and then he talked about his exit meeting and how impressed he was with, like, you know, just the things that he covered and the places that he wants his game to go. So, uh, you know, I, I, I it's funny because I when I've been asked, I, I kind of thought Elias Patterson was in line to be the next captain. But then a lot of people have gone down this road of, yeah. you know, boy, it sounds like Quinn Hughes and and, yeah. and talking has backed him at every turn. And then, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Because uh, Tockett said he wasn't quite sure what he was going to do uh, in terms of putting a C on. And he said the same thing at his exit meeting here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just reading between the lines uh, certainly feels like Quinn Hughes now might have the inside track there. Standing by my hot take of Quinn Hughes, double-digit goals next year, by the way. All right. Uh, PD, you've talked about PD being uncomfortable talk, uh, speaking in front of his teammates, which I thought was, was quite interesting. And you, yep. I mean, I, I mean, at the same time, it doesn't really surprise me. He almost seems uncomfortable uh, talking to the media, but just in front of your teammates as well. And then he also just talked about how he wants that voice to come out a little bit more because it bears so much weight because of who he is. Yeah, the thing that really jumped out at me from the question about, uh, or his answer about Elias Pettersson was he said that... Uh, Petey was going to work out with the same trainer he did last summer. And I think, great. Like, you look at what it did yeah. for him this past season. Uh, you know, whatever preparation he did last offseason, uh, he hit the ground running and there was no looking back. He opened the scoring for the Canucks in Edmonton on opening night, first goal of the season, and scored a whole bunch after that, and obviously 102 points. So, uh, you know, it seems like he's found somebody that he trusts, that he believes in, that uh, clearly believes in him. And uh, I would say uh, that's a good sign and, and good news for Canuck fans. Uh, if Elias Patterson is sort of working with that same guy, uh, whoever it is, his personal trainer, strength conditioning, um, you know, that, that's good news that uh, PD will be in prime shape when he arrives to uh, try to back up the season that he just had. But when you hear stuff like that, like just being uncomfortable talking in front of his own teammates, like surprised yeah. that, that, yeah. But to me, that also just says he just doesn't. And Patrick Johnston was the first one to say this on our podcast. Like just that PD doesn't want that captaincy. I don't think he wants the pressure of it. I don't think he wants to, you know, and that's, and that's fine. You know, I actually think Quinn Hughes would excel in that role. So it'd be very interesting to see. But it's funny when you say that, because talk had also mentioned that one of the things that he got out of Patterson was, like he believes that he is one of the best players in the yes. league and he's sort of driven. Yeah. And you look around the league at a lot of those other best players on their teams and what do they have? They've got a C stitched on their Jersey. So, you know, I, that's something I have a little trouble reconciling. Uh, but Hey, you know, if he doesn't want it, there's no question. He is a leader on this hockey club. Uh, if he doesn't have a C, he would be wearing an A. And uh, the guys in that room, like, they all know that the players know the truth. They they know the real ones, and there's no question in that locker room, uh, Elias Pettersson is the best player that they've got. 
he was talking about uh, Brock Besser. He was asked about his compete level, and he uh, he acknowledged that, yeah, he thinks that Besser needs to step that up. Yeah, uh, and we've heard that before. But again, sort of out of market, was curious to see, you know, would he sugarcoat it? Would he drill down harder? Uh, there's no question that uh, if Besser is back, that the gauntlet has been laid down for him, that uh, they just need, they need more. And not just goals, they need more engagement. They need more, uh, you know, physicality. They need yeah, like he's just, he's got to up his battle level and his compete. And so, uh, again, talking, laid it pretty clear for everybody uh, about, you know, guys that if they don't come to camp in shape, like there's going to be hell to pay. He talked about the the C group, like, you know, that's the third group essentially. And he's like, there better not be many guys in that C group. The C group is usually filled up with, you know, Abbotsford Canucks and some of the junior prospects. And, and Jake Furtanen. So, and Jake Furtanen <laughs> back in, in the day in Victoria. So uh, you uh, love me maybe too. <laughs> yeah. And so, again, there wasn't really anything new on the Bachelor front, just another sort yeah. of proclamation from the coach that they need a whole lot more from that guy. He also said, though, he doesn't think that Besser's as slow as people think he is. Yeah, I so, thought that was interesting. Yeah. All right. So, uh, I, I, I like the fact he said JT Miller texted him last week. Yeah. He's like, I need to get back to him. Yeah. <laughs> leaving Miller on unread. <laughs> coach, where are you? He's busy. He's busy. Uh, there were, and he also, I mean, clear as day, said, team needs more toughness. Yeah. And he said, well, I like, he said he needs to see if it's in some of the guys that are already here, which I thought was an interesting, you know, he was on the job for four months trying to get a read on some guys. And yet he said, like, I, I still need to figure out if it's in some of those guys. And then the other thing that I, I you know, you talked about uh, right off the top was just him kind of being an open book. I love the answer to the question about just living his life in Vancouver and privacy. And he said, like, you know, I'm, I'm going out. I'm yeah. going out. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. I get that you're the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks and it's got profile and all that kind of stuff, but you're a human being. Like, yeah. you got to go. You got to have a dinner. You got to have a beer. Well, you got to confront it like, too, right? Like that. And I think that's the thing is they talked about, um, I think it was Shane O'Brien said that, you know, Travis Green was basically just staying in the whole right. time. He didn't want to go out. <laughs> just, just, just confront it. <laughs> and Obi, Obi's like, I embraced it. Oh, yeah. He, <laughs> Maybe you, a little too much. <laughs> Oh, I have heard some stories about well, that. Guy. And then Upshaw was like, yeah, that's why the <laughs> podcast is named Missing Curfew. Missing Curfew, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I found that quite interesting. But you're right. Yeah, like, embrace it. Why not embrace it? Like, you know, I know there's a lot of pressure in, involved in these jobs, but A, you get paid very handsomely to do it. And B, like, it's once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. There's only 32 head coaches in this league. So embrace it. Well, I also think, too, like... Are there some a-holes out there? Sure, there are. I would hope that in public, most people would respect Rick Tockett's privacy. If, you know, somebody at a restaurant sees the guy, if, you know, say hi. If, uh, the fuck are you doing with that defense corps right now? Right. Like, I would hope that, like, the people that exist on Twitter uh, aren't the same people that are probably eating yeah. in the restaurants that Rick Tockett's eating in. So, um, you know, I, I hope people would give him space, but at the same time, like he knows it comes to the territory with a job of that sort of stature. So no, I, I like that. I like that answer. Like, damn it. I'm going out. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do uh, and do it his way. So good on him. He's also ex player too. And they, they, you know, they have that lifestyle and everything. And he also acknowledged the fact that he, you know, he had a great lifestyle when he was working at TNT and it was tough to, to get away from, but I uh, good on him. Yeah. I think Rick talk. It's going to be, 
I think he's going to be beloved here. I don't know exactly how the team's going to do, but I think people are going to embrace Rick Tockett. Right, and that restaurant right. restaurant meal will taste better after five straight wins yeah. as opposed to five straight yeah. losses. So It might be free as well at that well, point. Well, so. maybe, but yeah. So, I mean, some of it's on you know, the reaction he'll get. You know, some of it will be dependent on the success that uh, he's able to have. Uh, on the ice with this hockey club. All right. Speaking of coaches, we talked mm-hmm. about uh, perhaps maybe a vacancy opening up in New York or what it means for a drug land, but there, there are four vacancies right now in Calgary, Anaheim, Columbus, and Washington. Do you think our ex uh, buddies, Travis green and, or Bruce Boudreaux could be up for any of those jobs? Well, let's eliminate Bruce from Anaheim and Washington. Yeah, that's true. In both of them, uh, they're not going to go back to that. <laughs> no, I don't see them uh, back to the future with uh, with Bruce. Uh, Calgary. I, it sounds like Calgary because they need a GM as well. I think they're going to hire the GM and then let him uh, make the decision. And that's the way to do it. We saw in reverse here in Vancouver that doesn't end well generally uh, for one or both. And so uh, there is a process there. So. Uh, you know, when I look at the Calgary Flames, you know, veteran team that's better than it showed this year, obviously there was dysfunction. You know, like Bruce has made a career of sort of coming in after hard asses and hugging players Softening, and pump yeah. them up. And yeah. so, you know, on some level, I, I could make an argument, I think, that Bruce Boudreaux could be a fit for the Calgary Flames. I'm not suggesting that that's going to happen. That's where he's going to wind up. Uh, Columbus is interesting to me just because of where they are. I think they probably want to see the lottery balls. You know, if Connor Bedard ends up there, like he did on our mock this earlier in this program, that will be a highly coveted. I mean, there's only 32 jobs, but all of a sudden the chance to work with Connor Bedard. So, uh, you know, I don't know what the Blue Jackets are looking for. Brad Larson, you know, gave it a shot. I don't know if he's going to get another chance in the National Hockey League or if he's going to be one of those sort of one-and-done guys. It feels to me, though, if Columbus is going to grow up, it's probably time for them to, you know, find a a long-term coach that they believe in that they can grow with. And I don't want to say a veteran guy because they went with Torts. They had Hitch in there at one point as well. Um, So, yeah, you know, is Travis Green... The right candidate for either one of those. Um, and like at some point, I have to assume that he's going to get a second opportunity to be a head coach in the National Hockey League. Does he have to take a step back or does he, does he, does just, he earn I, that? I'm surprised that, quite frankly, and I know that uh, Drant set a chat with him and did a piece at The Athletic, but I, I'm surprised he's kept such a low profile, honestly, um, outside of you know, coaching in the Spangler Cup, I would have thought that he would have tried to do some TV work just to keep his name out there, to stay on the radar, to let people know that, you know, he's he's actively watching all these games. It said that he'd been interviewed for a couple of jobs. So uh, we'll see what happens. And we'll also see, you know, is there more fallout out of these playoffs? I, outside of the Rangers in the first round, I don't see um, any of the teams that were bounced making coaching changes. But, you know, let's see what the second round brings. But again, um it, 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 look, I, I do think at some point Travis Green's going to get a second chance. I just don't know if it's uh, Anaheim would be a nice fit for him because he lives there. That's yeah. been his uh, base. And, you know, again, young team, uh, lots of prospects, you know, probably still a couple of years away, but maybe a place where a coach could, you know, grow into that role and grow with that group. So Calgary, Anaheim, Columbus, Washington, those are the four openings right now. Rangers, we don't know about, but 
you know, Gerard Gallant's got the job. We <laughs> we won't fire him prematurely, but I do think that uh, he's going to be on a hot seat uh, probably as of uh, right now. And then, again, we'll see what happens uh, out of the remainder of, of these playoffs. Yeah, that Anaheim job might be for Travis Green when you sort of think about it. Feels like they need a hard ass in there to just sort of come in and, and sort of whip these guys into shape a little bit. I don't know anything about their dressing room, but I wonder about maturity there. Yeah. You know, with these young guys that they have and you know, Zegris and uh, who else is there? Drysdale and, and uh, Tavish. Uh, McTavish. Yeah. So you know, interesting to see what happens with Travis Green. I don't think Bruce Boudreaux is getting another job as a head coach. I really don't. I think Bruce Boudreaux is best served in, in a studio right now on NHL Network. I think he does a fantastic job with it. I think Bruce Boudreaux would argue with me and say that he wants to get behind a bench, but he is good in, in uh, as an analyst as well. And I just think with his age and just where the, the league's going right now. Plus, th- he didn't really do himself any favors with Vancouver, you know, with the way things ended up with him, right? So, and nor did the management group and the way things were handled. Yeah, I, I wonder if there is another coaching act for Bruce Boudreaux, if it's a midseason. You know, that's kind of where he's made his name is coming in and finding these distressed teams and propping them back up and getting them on a on a short-term run so as opposed to being hired from the outset uh maybe that's his path if there is another opportunity for him to be a head coach is to be a mid-season replacement somewhere okay uh i got an ask jpad i want to ask you okay Mm. because i'm seeing these uh, celebrities stepping up around ottawa should canucks fans be jealous of the sends right now so you've got ryan reynolds of course ties to vancouver snoop dogg i believe had a house here at one point but I know that he has called Vancouver his second home from time to time. And they're both fighting over the ownership group or with both in different groups to get in. So should Canucks fans be jealous a little bit that they've got this, you know, star power trying to get into Ottawa? I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for the fan base. Uh, nobody knows what they would be like as hockey owners. Ryan Reynolds obviously had uh, uh, the Midas touch with Wrexham, and that's turned out to be an incredible story. Uh, Snoop, I know that he loves his sports, but... Uh, uh, you know, did it, you see him on first take talking I, about? I it? did, yeah. yeah, and great. But like, one thing to you know go on TV show and talk about uh, your love of hockey and wanting to help grow the game. Another to be the guy that's uh, financing, or you know, it wouldn't be all his money, but you know what? It, I, I guess the question is like, how hands on are these guys? What role ultimately do they have other than uh, guys with high profiles? You know, are they hiring the right people and just letting them do their job? Or are they? I can't imagine Snoop being involved in the day to day operations of the it's Ottawa not Senators. Like generally, but, their money either, right? right. Like, so, it's, you, know, yeah. you know, they bring a profile and that part's all great. It gets attention and boosts the, the value. Uh, but should Canuck fans be jealous? I, I don't know. I mean, would you like Michael Buble attached to the Vancouver? Would it soften things because we know there is, you know, some disdain right now when it comes to ownership? <laughs> Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I'm not phased by the star power of these guys, I guess. Like, I've seen Buble around the Giants locker room, and, uh, you know, I think it's cool. The guy loves hockey. Uh, we know that. He loves sports. I, I would have an issue if somehow he got involved in local ownership here, but you know, I just don't see the Aquilinis. Uh, no. Certainly, they're not looking for partners right now, and uh, maybe if the time comes, uh, perhaps uh, that's a phone call you make to a guy like Buble. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think that organizations need to have these celebrity figureheads just because. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm like everybody. I want to see how this Ottawa thing plays out and where it goes. But first and foremost, the senators, you know, they need a new rink. Their rink out in Canada is uh, it 
it's just it's time for them to get a downtown rink and and start to you know build that fan base back up. They've got the team that looks like it's ready to you know in the next five years uh, make some noise around the National Hockey League, and it would be great if they had a new facility uh, to play in as well. Yeah, I guess uh, you can get your celebrity mascot if you want, but ultimately, winning yeah. is what matters. <laughs> The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. A rink-wide Vancouver is presented by Bodog Sports Odds, Poker Tips, and Free Casino Games. It's time to play. Time for some playoff talk. We already kind of went over the Devils and Rangers, but uh, we didn't talk about the Jacob Truba hit on Timo Meyer. I mean, Jake had him of two minds of it. Like, to me, it's a clean hit. Because it is, it's led with the shoulder. However, Meyer is skating hunched over. His head is right where Truba's shoulder is, so it's a headshot. And, you know, I know what we know about concussion, CTE, all of that stuff, and whether or not, you know, the NHL head offices want to acknowledge it. But it is an issue here, and we've seen it in the NFL. Like, if any head is targeted, it it's it's you're out. Like, and so... Do we need to have this in the NHL now? Should it be that any sort of headshot is going to be some sort of penalty? Right. So that's sort of the European application of the rules. And if that's a discussion that uh, the hockey world wants to have and the NHL wants to have, uh, I've got time for it, knowing what we know, as you said, about headshots. Uh, the Truba hit last night, you know, was it unnecessary late in the game? Uh, they're on their way to being punted from the playoffs. There was probably some frustration there. At the same time, it's Jacob Truba. Like, that's how he plays. Not an isolated uh, incident. People know he's one of the most feared hitters in the National Hockey League. Timo Meyer's been at this for a while. He has to know better than, you know, head down. And I think you have to recognize when a guy like Truba is on the ice. That said, my big issue last night, and even, you know, you used the word there, headshot. I don't think that was a head shot. Was the first point of contact the head? Yeah. Truba is trying to blow him up. Like he's trying to hit right through him. And as you said, Meyer sort of hunched over and it puts the head in harm's way. And by the letter of the NHL rule book, that's not a headshot because a guy is sort of complicit by, you know, leaning over and putting his head there. So was there contact with the head? Yeah. But Truba's trying to hit right through him. Like, it wasn't targeted for the head. He didn't go in head hunting, I didn't think. I didn't think he, you know, he certainly didn't hang an elbow and make contact with only his head. He was blowing the guy up, and that's what he did. And in fact, like, there were a couple things. One is, in fast motion, in real time, like, I thought it was 86, not 96, and I thought it was Jack Hughes, and I was like, oh, my God, Jack Hughes is dead. Um, And not that it makes it any better that it, was Meyer and not Hughes, but my first thought was, oh my God. I don't like, mean to laugh, just the way you said that was poor Jack. Hughes is dead. <laughs> um, but like, damn, Timo Meyer, like, he popped back up from that. Like, give yeah. the guy credit. Like, I was waiting for the stretcher. And I think ultimately what it was is he was winded. And that tells me that while in the act of hitting through him, 
yes, there was some contact with the head, but the real damage was that he was basically just winded. Like he, you know, as you can understand why. Um, and so I was glad that Meyer popped up. I was glad to see them in the handshake line, uh, all that kind of stuff. And hopefully Timo Meyer is totally fine and can continue on with the Devils into round two. So again, I, I, I guess like, I don't know how you prevent it. Like Jacob Truro plays that way. He's probably pissed off that his team's about to be eliminated. He saw a guy, took an opportunity, and you know ran with it. But like, again, by the letter of the law, like I didn't think it was a penalty. But I also don't want guys brain scrambled, so I don't know what the answer to this is. And I just it doesn't feel like there's any sort of wriggle room or gray area. Like all of the discourse on social media, you're either on headshot, kick this guy out of the league, or it was a fine hit. It's a physical game, you know, man up kind of like, and it just, nobody seems to be able to change anybody's opinion. And, you know, so like, I, I'm all for physical play. What's what we love about the first round of the playoffs. Uh, I do think there is some onus on the player to recognize who's on the ice as an opponent to know where they are. And who was it? Kyle Brodziak, the former player. I saw him tweet out that, uh, you know, like try walking out into traffic while scrolling on your phone and see how that works out for you. And there is sort of that element that, like, you have to be aware of your surroundings. Like, that's just the environment these guys play in. And there's no holding back with a guy like Jacob Truba. So until the laws are changed that any head contact is a penalty, you know, it's unfortunate for Meyer, but I was just glad that uh, it all worked out okay. And it looks like he's going to be just fine. But I think that's what it's going to come to. Is that any head contact is going to be a penalty? Because but then, then how do you stop a guy from skating around? Basically, like, but in the NFL, they're flying. They're, you know, it's a car wreck in the NFL as well, and they've yeah, done it. I know, but like, like I'm, don't get me wrong. Like, can I'm I all lead for with, can I skate around with my head down, like lead and and basically headbutt you? And is that a penalty for you, or is it a penalty for me, or? Like that's where I, I, again, like I just use the NFL as a comparison, yeah. right? And the NCAA as well. And I in target in the NCAA, straight targeting. You're like you're out, yeah. right? But that's why and, I didn't think that one was targeting. Like I didn't think he went. No, out I didn't. I didn't either. But the there head. was head contact. Yeah, and he he popped up, J Pat, but he was out for a bit. No, like he oh, was, initially, yeah, yeah, no, no, okay. no, no, no. Like there yeah. was damage done, but when when he got into a seating position, it looked yeah. like he was trying to catch his breath. And I I think ultimately that he was winded. I think that yeah. was the extent of it because he, I mean, he stayed around for the handshake line. I don't know if he played again, um, but you know that's the bottom line is that we've seen enough of these that have gone sideways. This one, you know, it, it looks spectacular in just the brunt, blunt force. It was a, it was a big boy hit. Like, exactly. It was a rock'em sock'em hit. Like, yeah, it would have been on one of those videos when we were kids. And a lot sure. of guys haven't popped up, and so just the ultimate takeaway is that Timo Meyer, he's going to be okay. Because I would hate yeah. it, you know, with a couple minutes left in a game where the Rangers are done. And the Devils are moving on to have a guy eliminated for like the next series. Like that would have been a crappy outcome, obviously, uh, for both Meyer and the Devils. So hopefully he's uh, fine. He hasn't been great, but uh, they made a trade to get him. They want him to be a part of this. And they're, you know, into round two now. And they're probably going to need him uh, if they're going to go deeper in these playoffs. Some of the Rangers could be on this list, but I saw your tweet about uh, players that underperformed in the first round. I made a short list myself. I think we've already talked about Kaprizov, uh, Vasilevsky. You mentioned there uh, earlier in the show. I have him on my list as well. An 875 save percentage for Andre Vasilevsky. Are you kidding me? And then we talked about Bohorovat yesterday. But those those are the kind of the three that stood out to me. There were a bunch of different people uh, or a bunch of different tweets from people that, you know, different names and whatnot. But, you know, who who really stood out to you uh, that jumped off the page? Well, Panarin was the guy for the range. Panarin and Zvanajad. I mean, they were... 
their two best players in the regular season. Kreider scored a bunch of goals, most of them on the power play, although he was brutal last night on the ice for all four of the Devils' goals. Um, but I just, Panarin was a complete no-show. Like, he, I watched a lot of that series, and I just never saw him. And I don't know uh, where he went or, or why he was as quiet as he was. It's funny, and I guess some of it's coming from Vancouver. You know, lots of darts being thrown at uh, Bo Horvat. Anders Lee was the guy for me on that Islanders team, and we talked about uh, you know the aging curve, uh, you know, veteran through the battles, and there was nothing like he almost had the empty stat line uh, in that series against Carolina. So Anders Lee would certainly be a a guy that uh, I look at, you know. And then on top of that, uh, you know, I don't know who I expected on Colorado to perform better outside of their top guys, but. Um, you know, they made the trade for Lars Eller, like didn't have a point in that series against Seattle. Uh, expected more than that. I'm sure they did as well. You know, but any of those depth guys, Evan Rodriguez or, uh, you know, you know, Alex Newhook, young guy, you'd like to see him uh, produce a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, there's lots of guys, lots of reasons why those teams uh, are on the outside looking in now. Uh, but certainly for me, for the Rangers, one game, winner take all uh, rivalry series with the, you know, the Devils across the river. I just thought that, like, okay, game six, they survived. Can they carry that over into game seven? And they were just so flat. Like, they had nothing. Um, and then again, I guess, you know, we have to look at some of those uh, Boston Bruins, obviously, that, uh, and maybe you start with Linus Allmark, who it sounds like maybe not fully healthy, but then Jim Montgomery probably should have gone to Jeremy Swayman earlier in that series. Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of guys. It happens every year, but uh, those are some of the ones for me uh, here this spring. Yeah, I'm just sort of going through. Uh, so it's something the people are replying here. You're right. All Mark is getting mentioned there uh, as well. A lot of for Kaprizov, sure. Uh, Timo Meyer's name there. Somebody had Kopitar on there. I don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, surprised at that yeah. one. Although I pushed back and the guy said, well, you know, he had four points in the first game and then really nothing after yeah. that. And, yeah. but I, and then my reply was, yeah, but I think game one is part of yeah. the first round. <laughs> like this whole thing was who were the first round disappointments. So like, I don't care where your points came from. Like Kopitar had his points. They just, yeah, maybe need a little bit more late, but uh Ultimately, as we talked about earlier, it was the, the penalty kill that did the Kings in. I need a few more wins in my Bodog best bets. I haven't been doing very well throughout these oh, uh, postseason. I thought, your, I thought yeah. your money, Jack Hughes, was all over the place in the first period last night, and I thought he was going get, to uh, get it done early for you. Well, maybe he should stop barking at the refs so much because <laughs> he was doing a lot of that last night. But yeah, I had Jack Hughes anytime goal scorer didn't bark pull at his through. skate manufacturers. Yeah, what was up with that? Weird wipeouts. Yeah. Like, the Hughes brothers, I mean, among the great skaters in the NHL these days, and he couldn't stay on his feet for whatever reason. That was weird. All right. I'm going with a, a four series round two parlay here, Jake oh, Pat. Okay. All right. I'll get your picks in a second, but I'll tell you mine. In Edmonton, VGK, I am going to take Edmonton. They're at minus 160. In the Dallas-Seattle series, wait for it, taking the Kraken at Ooh. plus 165. Toronto, Florida, yeah, I think the Leafs are going to continue to do it. They're at minus 180, so I got them. And then in, in the Carolina-New Jersey series, I've got New Jersey. It's pretty much a pick em. New Jersey's at minus 130. Carolina's at minus 110. So Jersey, I guess, is uh, the underdog here. But uh, I'm going to take them as well. So I have Edmonton, Seattle, Toronto, New Jersey. Where are you going? Yeah, well, I expect that Devils-Carolina series to probably be the fastest series that we have seen yet. And Seattle-Colorado was played, played at a, a blazing pace. But I would think that... Uh, Devils and the Canes can rip it up back and forth that way, although both can play some pretty good defense as well. 
Uh, the only difference is I, I'm going to go with the Stars. I, I, otherwise, I, I think the Devils get the, the Hurricanes. I think the Leafs will get through. And I like the Oilers to beat Vegas. So uh, and we're only differing on that Stars-Seattle series. And what, were we both 5-3 and three in the opening round, I think? Yes. Yeah. We both had... Uh, I had the Islanders. And then I also had New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And then we both got the uh, Boston-Florida series wrong, which I think most people did as well. But... right. There you go. Except for our colleague in Toronto, David Amber at uh, David Amber, David Alter with uh, Rinkwide Toronto. He picked uh, the Cats to get hmm. through. Maybe he knew something. There you go. Maybe he's been watching that division very closely all year long. There you have it. All right, buddy. It's been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is the show that always goes. Through.